0: Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Tulare Community Church, the Lord be with you. It's uh, absolutely an honor to be here today. This is kind of an impromptu visit. Uh, Hadn't intended really to be in Tulare uh, this weekend, but so glad to be here. Nancy is with me, and we're here really because we recognize that there is pain in your body. And when there is pain in the body of the Tulare Community Church, there is pain in our hearts. And we've come to make a contribution to healing it. With that, I would like to turn to the words of Jesus' brother, James. Before we do that, pray with me, please. Father, may your word be our rule. Your spirit our teacher. In the glory of Jesus, our single concern, in whose name we pray, Amen. Turn with me to the first chapter of the book of James. Um, I recognize that I've already made one presumption um, in naming James, the brother of Jesus, as the author of this book. There are probably four different James in the New Testament who could have authored this book. One of them would have been James, the brother of John, the sons of Zebedee. There is a claim that he could have written this, but I don't think that's the case because that James was martyred under the hands of Nero in the year 44, long before most New Testament scholars believe this was written. It could have been James' son of Alphaeus, or James the Less, who is mentioned among Mary's entourage at the cross in Mark 15. But I think it's James, the brother of Jesus. And I think that for this reason, of all the books in the New Testament, this book lifts up Jesus less than any other's. And my guess is that a brother would be more likely to do that than anyone else. Not because there was sibling rivalry between them, but quite to the contrary, this James knew his brother's heart. It was Jesus who said, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And that's what James picked up on. My brother wanted us to do the faith, not just feel or think the faith. That's why I think James, the brother of Jesus, is the author. If your pastors have suggested something other than that, I suggest you go with their suggestion, but for me, it's Jesus' brother. Listen to what he has to say. "'Blessed is anyone who endures temptation.'" such a one has stood the test and will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. No one, when tempted, should say, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But one is tempted by one's own desire, being lured and enticed by it. Then, When the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And that sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my beloved. Doesn't take a rocket scientist, does it, to figure out that he's operating with three basic assumptions. And the first one is that temptations are real and dangerous and only a fool would blink at them. The second is that temptations by their very nature are progressive, consumptive, and ultimately destructive. They begin as a small thing, but before you know it, you've you've swallowed the entire marshmallow. It works that way. And the third thing is that temptations, when they bear their evil fruit, are terminal. They're just terminal. If you play with the devil at his game, you will lose, and you will lose your soul. Now, what James doesn't do in this epistle is what his brother did, and I want you to listen with me now to the blessed exchange between Jesus and the devil. It's recorded in one of the Gospels. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights And when he was finished, he was famished. And it was then that the devil came to him and said to him, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Jesus said, a man does not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, to Jerusalem, and he placed him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, jump, for it is written, He will give his angels attendance to you, and they will bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the rock." Jesus said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the earth. And he said to him, Bow down and worship me, and all of this is yours. Jesus said to him, worship the Lord and serve only him and then Satan fled him and the angels came and ministered to Jesus that's really remarkable now why on earth would Jesus put himself through that I'll tell you why Because you're going to go through that. And he loves us. And he would send us to no place, including a grave, that he himself had not visited first. Actually, I I just don't think I'm going to preach a sermon this morning. I don't actually have a sermon in me. What I'm going to do is just plead with you on the basis of James and his brother Jesus, our beloved, I'm going to plead with you first to take the devil seriously. Peter, who ought to have known, writes in his epistle, the devil like a lion prowls around seeking someone that he may devour peter peter knew what he was talking about he had been there who do you think it was who prompted peter to deny jesus not once not twice but three times each time in my mind i see the evil one standing there whispering into peter's my, mouth ears Just say you don't know him. Just say you don't know him. And Peter said, I do not know the man. The devil said, that's it. That's what you do. A second time, he was confronted. You know him, don't you? It was easier for Peter to say the second time, I don't know him. And then the third time, the devil said, you're doing good. Just deny you know him and you're off the hook. He denied him the third time. The cock crowed. He looked up into a home, and Jesus was standing there looking at him. I'm asking you to take the devil seriously because the devil takes you seriously, and his intention is to destroy you, and he can do that if you let him. Interesting. There is hardly a book in the Bible that doesn't mention our enemy. He appears first in Genesis as a serpent who slithers up to Eve and says to him to her, "Did God say that you could not eat from any tree in the garden?" To which Eve says, "Well, when you put it that way, it sounds different." The devil is a liar. And the father of all lies. And he will lie to you about who you are and what you are. And you must resist him because his intention is to destroy you and you and me and finally the entire church. You must resist him. The dateline, Newtown, Connecticut, December 14, 2012. I think you remember the day and the event, don't you? Adam Lanza, 20 years old, shoots his mother and his father with a 22 caliber rifle and then arms himself with enough hatred to blow up a lifetime of happiness and walks into Sandy Hook Elementary School and he opens fire. And before he's done, 20 little ones will die. Five teachers and one administrator. In the midst of the Holocaust, Rick Thorne, who is the janitor of the elementary school, hears the fire, resists the urge to flee, and runs toward the gunman. And he himself is shot but miraculously, he doesn't die. After he recovered, he was interviewed by the Associated Press, and this is what he said, as I ran toward him, I felt as though I was running toward hell, and his eyes were the eyes of the devil. He has it absolutely right. The devil employed Adam Lanza to do destruction, and the devil employs a lot of us to do the same thing. Resist him, and he will flee from you. That's the first plea that I want to make. You don't want to take the devil more seriously than you ought, but you can't deny the fact that he has power. Here's the second plea. Please, body of Christ, sisters and brothers... Take the scriptures that have been given to us seriously. They are our armor and our sure defense. Isn't this curious? The devil comes to Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. And every time that the devil assaults Jesus, he doesn't appeal to his own authority he appeals to the authority of the scripture. The devil says to him, command these stones to turn to bread. Jesus could have done that. He could have snapped his finger and they would all be bread. But now he says, man does not live by bread alone, which is a direct quotation from the book of Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter. And then the devil comes to him a second time, lifts him up on the pinnacle of the temple, which is the exact same location where the shofar blew at nine o'clock and three o'clock in the morning, the very same place. And he said to him, come on, if your God just jump, angels will come to your aid. And he said, no, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. He quoted Psalm 90. The curious part there, of course, is that the devil quoted the Bible first, which ought to alert us all to something. The enemy knows our book, and he is not above using it on us. He will twist the scriptures and contort them to make you think they're saying something that they're not saying. Don't listen to him when he does that. Which is also another another warning to us. Don't think for a second that when you're cloistered in a Bible study or even when you're sitting in a sanctuary that the devil can't come here. He can do that. He can put division between this brother and this sister. He can cause contention in the body. He can whisper into the ears of any one of us at any time, you must arm yourself with the book. So when the devil comes to you, throw a little scripture at him and see how he responds to that. I'm going to turn the clock back now. Oh my, almost 40 years I was a brand new pastor right out of seminary. I served a little congregation in Hudsonville, Michigan. That's just west of Grand Rapids, a Dutch enclave. One of the saints of the church, a man named Art Smulligan, a, a meat packer from Forest Grove with axe handles, with shoulders two axe handles wide and hands the size of ketchers' mitt, was dying. His life was being taken from him an ounce at a time with leukemia. I would be with him on the day that he died. I wanted to be a good pastor, so I visited him as often as I could, two, three, four, sometimes five times a week. I would make my way up his driveway on 40th Street off of Baldwin in Hudsonville. Every visit had the same four pieces to it. There would be light conversation about life in Hudsonville. Art was worried for this young Gentile named Brown how I would survive among the Dutch, so he would coach me on how to do that. Light conversation about life in Hudsonville. We would sing a hymn. I would read a scripture passage and say a prayer. Every visit followed the same pattern, and it was a delicious time. Until the end of the summer and the last day of his life, Geraldine didn't greet me at the door as she normally did, so I let myself in. I walked down the long hall to the back bedroom where Art had been convalescing. Death was hanging on the curtains. Geraldine was sitting at the end of the bed weeping. She knew she would lose her mate of a lifetime that day. And I, a young pastor, was frightened. I didn't know what to do. Certainly, there was no light talk about life in Hudsonville. And I didn't have it in me to sing a hymn. And I thought to myself, I'll pray. And I did. But no reason to read scripture. Art is in a coma and Geraldine is weeping. So I prayed for Art, for Geraldine, for their children, their grandchildren, one of whom 25 years later would be a student of mine at the seminary. And then I got up to leave. And Art Smulligan got up the strength to make his last move. I can still see those big Dutch fingers coming at me, grabbing my necktie and pulling me down to an inch from his face. And he said to me, you forgot to read the Bible. I picked up my Bible and I read just about every psalm I could think of until Art fell back asleep. What was he teaching me? What was he teaching you? He was teaching us that the sword of the Lord is our surest defense against the taunts of the evil one. So I'm saying to you again interiorize the word, make it your own, because when the enemy comes to you and he's going to come to you, you're going to say to him, thus says the Lord, and you'll watch him turn and flee from you. But thank you, it's true. And this is true. You remember these words? We actually sang them just a moment ago. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for god has willed his truth to triumph through us the prince of darkness grim we tremble not for him his rage we can endure for lo his doom is sure one little word will fell him get behind me satan resist him, and he will flee from you. That's my second plea. My first plea is take the devil seriously. My my first plea is that. My second plea is hold to the book. It is your life. And my third plea, run to Jesus. Just run to him hide behind him. The devil will quake in the presence of Jesus, and your surest defense is to run toward Jesus and listen to him and what he has to say, and not to the devil and what he has to say. The devil will taunt you. He will shame you. He will drive you to distraction. He will want to destroy you. But if you listen to Jesus, you'll get the truest story. Here's what Jesus himself said. The thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy but I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Do you hear what I'm saying? Run to Jesus because Jesus actually loves you. One of the finest pieces of spiritual advice I ever heard was given by a man named Ben Patterson. Ben is now the dean of the chapel at Westmont College down the road in Santa Barbara. He was formerly the dean of the chapel at Hope College in my neck of the woods. One night at the gathering with a thousand college kids jammed into the old dim-knit chapel, he gave this piece of advice. He said, "When, when the devil comes to you and he says to you, All manner of wicked things about you telling you what you've done wrong telling you why you are wrong telling you how shameful you are in the presence of your Lord when he does that to you don't argue with him he has good evidence and he'll use it against you say to him it's irrelevant I have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. When you are cleansed in Jesus, you are cleansed indeed, and all the taunts of the devil will have no hold on you. Are you hearing me? When you are accosted by evil, don't argue with evil. Throw the blood of Jesus on him. Tell him that your righteousness is in Jesus Christ and he, friends, will flee from you. I want you to be aware that we have an enemy and the enemy has power. But we have a defense, the word of God, and we have a great hope the Son of God, who promises that he will never leave us or forsake us. Jesus Christ is the rock of our salvation, and in him there is great hope. I'm going to wrap this up because I'm done pleading with you. Um, uh, It's really no mystery why, why why we are here Some weeks ago, I got a text from Rick Gorsman telling me that Rex Niederen had shot himself and that it didn't look good. Now, you know I've been in Tulare many, many times. It's a strange feeling to land 2,000 miles from home and feel like you're at home, but when we're here, we do. From the moment that Nancy and I got that message, we did not stop praying just like you. So we came here. I'm so grateful that Steve would let me preach on this weekend, but even if he didn't, we were still coming because we had one ambition, and that was to see Rex, and we did yesterday, which was a great delight to me. So we visited for... About 45 minutes. Uh, And it's a good thing that Nancy said, Rex, are you tired? (laughs) He said, yes, I am. So we left, but I would still be there right now, I think. So about 9 o'clock last night, I got a text from Rex. I asked him if I could share it with you, and he said yes. Here's what he said. A self-inflicted gunshot wound is not the plan for anyone, anytime. But having experienced the bottomless pit of hell, the first feelings you have are peace and thanks for having survived. And then great delight in the love of my wife, and my daughters and my church and a great love for God. A little while later, he texted again and said to me, I I reread my text. I think the goal is this, that we might be able to bring our human pains to God and let him have them. There's wisdom there, friends. When you experience the pain of the battle, when the devil himself tries to cordon you off and separate you from the beloved, you run to him. You run as fast as you can because we have a God who is markedly greater than any enemy imaginable, including the devil. Am I making myself perfectly clear? you run to him you are not strong enough on your own you're not even strong enough together but you run to jesus who alone can say satan get thee behind me in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit father i pray for your body the church the church all over the world riddled here with the vision there with defection, in other places just anemic, and yet you want your church to thrive. I bless you for Tulare Community Church. I bless you, Lord, for the way that you have spared our brother and are now giving us hope that we all can live greater lives in you. Keep your hand on this congregation, Lord, and on all of her people. In Jesus' name.